Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. My name is Bree, and Erin is out this morning, and I am so excited. I am joined today by author Heidi McCann. First and foremost, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Bree. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am originally from Valdez, Alaska, although I've lived most of my adult life uh, here in North Carolina. I am married to Steve. We have three sons, one in college, one in high school, and one in middle school. And I write contemporary romance for Love Inspired. And starting in 2023, I'll be a Love Inspired trade author as well in the women's fiction genre, which I'm super excited about. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I love the few love-inspired trade books that we've gotten. So I'm going to have to ask you more about that. Um, But first, okay, tell me, so you have a, a college student, a high school student, and a middle school student. How yes, is ma'am. that going for you? Because <laughs> my oldest two are in middle school and my youngest is in first grade. So, and they're all three boys, right? Yes, yes. Okay. All boys. How, does, all how boys. is that going for you? <laughs> well, we just took the college kid to college for the first time about six weeks ago, and we just visited him for the first time like two days ago. So I feel like I'm much better. I'm in a much better place to answer that question. So right now it's going really well. Um, We miss him terribly. He's just about three hours away, but it feels like three million light years. (laughs) So it's been a big adjustment. It's sad to send a kid to college. And I'm so sorry to all the older parents in my life who always would say, oh, I just took a kid to college. And I would nod and smile. And I'm like, oh, now I get it. But yeah, it changes the dynamic around your family table for sure. But we're adjusting and you know, the other kids have things going on in their life. It's hard to be a teenager right now and uh, school and fun stuff. So we're just taking it day by day. Yeah, I I have my mom days where I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait to just be an empty nester. But then I have to remind myself, like, you're going to miss them so much when they're gone. So yes, I just I, enjoy every moment. <laughs> it, it's hard. It's hard to enjoy the season that you're in. If I could go back to the Target in Kent, Washington in 2006 and all those nice old ladies who said, oh, look at those two little boys in your shopping, you know, shopping cart, two kids, formula, diaper, whatever you're buying, food. And they're like, oh, it goes so fast. And you just want to punch them, right? You're just like, what? Because yeah. <laughs> that phase feels like it's lasting forever. <laughs> right. One day lasts a thousand years. What are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, they're going to college. You're like, wait, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get a do-over? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it, yeah, like you said, like it's so hard right now because I don't know, like my my do- my kids are for the most part pretty homebody-ish, but like my son, his best friend lives right down the street and you know, they miss like having sleepovers and stuff like that and I'm like, you know, you never know with pandemic life that we've been living in like how people are going to feel about that and yes. it's just you, yes. you can, they really want to be social and you want them to have they like I think like the kids need that social interaction like right. outside of school, but it's just you never know how people, you know, feel about people coming over and stuff like that. And it's just, right. I feel like, is it, I question, like, is it stilting them in some way? Like, is this know. holding them back, like, socially in some way? It's going to be interesting to see. Very interesting. It was tricky sending a kid to college. I was like, wait, you spent half of high school mostly in your house. You know? Yeah. I mean, he, he did go back to school in what I would call a traditional setting for, for part of the last part of high school, but he really missed a lot. And then, like you said, like 
you know, you're always like, oh, are you comfortable with this? Okay, not so much. All right, pull it back. Not doing that. All right. <laughs> like, yeah. have we forgotten the before times? Right. <laughs> At this point, it's like, what were we even doing? Before? I know. Like, what What was that? Did that even happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get into some icebreaker questions. The first one, if you, Heidi, came with a warning label, what would it say? It would say, be careful or you will wind up in my novel. I'm always eavesdropping. I'm nosy as I'll get out. <laughs> Generally speaking, I'm more of an introverted, sort of a quiet person, but I am always listening. So Watch what you say and do around me because it could turn into a scene in a novel. Yeah, you're always researching. That's that's how we justify this. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's research. If, Go ahead. If I have a meaningful conversation with someone, you know, it's not lighthearted and it goes kind of deep and they say something and I think, oh, wow, that would be amazing. I do ask their permission. Yeah. Like, like hey, that conversation really inspired a scene. Is it okay with you if I sort of take what you said and you know, turn it into my own words and, and put that in a scene. And I've only asked twice and both times they've just been so flattered. But you do have to be careful because not everybody wants their life <laughs> to inspire a scene in a novel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that just hearing that is really inspiring because I think for aspiring writers like myself, it's like you think you're, you have to make up everything. And I came to realize, I think within the last few months, like I finally got to go home and visit my family. I hadn't been home in some years. And it was like, you, you really have like real life inspiration that you can pull from, you know, whether it's really truly knowing someone or like you said, just having a conversation and being like, wow, like I could use that if that's okay, <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Yeah, we all think, oh, I have to come up with some totally unique, amazing idea. There's really nothing new under the sun, but it will become a unique idea because each person puts their own author's voice and their own creativity into the setting, into the scene, the characters. So, yeah. Yes. Well, tell me the last song that got stuck in your head. I am a huge country music fan. And mm -hmm. yes, taking my dog to the groomer and listening to country radio and uh, Cole Swindell has a song out. She had me at Heads Carolina and I think I love it because it's a remake of a 90s country song by Jody Messina that I loved. So I'm walking around singing. She had me at yes. Heads. I won't yes. Because I'm not that kind of artist, but I do love country music. Yeah. I love the storytelling. I love Casey. Is it Musk Musgraves? Is that how yes. you say her last name? Oh gosh. Yes. She has a song called Slow Burn. And I think it is just one of the most beautiful songs ever. She is so talented. Oh, just a brilliant songwriter and not afraid to do her own thing. She's yeah. very impressive. Well, what's one book that you wish you could experience reading again for the first time? I love the Mitford series by Jan Karen, the whole series. It's uh, set in the mountains of North Carolina. And I'm not much of a rereader because I have so many books that I haven't read at all yet. <laughs> but I love the Mitford books. And it's just, it's my favorite. Small town, great characters, hope-filled, uplifting. It's mm -hmm. my favorite. Is it kind of an, how long ago were they written? So I'm not sure when the first one came out. Um, gosh, more than 20 years probably. And okay. then she she said that she was finished. And then she said, well, my readers keep asking for more. And so she did write some more. And I think probably that most recent one came out a couple years ago. I saw that she's going to be inducted into the, oh, I'm not going to get this right. But the Christie Award is one of the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious award that you can receive in Christ 
Christian fiction, and they have a Hall of Fame. And I see that she's being inducted in November in Nashville. So I don't know if she's a retired writer, but um, yeah. Yeah, she's you never know. Yeah. Give us like the elevator pitch for the books that you enjoy writing. I like to say that I write sweet, wholesome romance novels featuring small towns and characters in need of redemption and second chances, which I probably need to hone that pitch a little bit. It's hard. It's hard to summarize what you write. I like that pitch. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Well, we love hearing romance origin stories. So how did you become a romance reader and writer? Okay, I'll try to keep this succinct. It's like my favorite story to tell. But <laughs> so my parents bought a restaurant on the side of the road in the middle of Alaska in 1977. And I was just a baby and my sister was four. And I think people were a little bit fascinated by our family. And I mean, we, we weren't the only family buying restaurants and trying to make a life in Alaska. But my grandparents lived with us. Both sets of grandparents would come in the summer and it was just a real family affair. And people would bring us stuff, all kinds of stuff, clothes, toys. But when I was in elementary school, somebody brought us a big bag full of paperbacks and there was a Harlequin novel in there. And I was told you are not to read that. And it was like um, probably a Harlequin Presents white cover, gold sort of filigree across the top. The couple was in the center and then they had like a colored circle around them. I, I wish I had kept it. I had no idea what my future held, of course. But And then my grandmother had Grace Livingston Hill books on her bookshelf. And those to my mind, were super conservative. So right away, I knew there was a spectrum of conservative to not so much. And uh, my friend's mom opened a Christian bookstore in her garage, and I read Jeanette Oak, Love Comes Softly, which is, I mean, Jeanette Oak has probably inspired so many women to write inspirational romance. But in in those days, it took like a five book series for them to even kiss. And I was like, well, that's taking forever. What's going on? <laughs> So I, there were books I was allowed to read, and then there were books that I wasn't supposed to read. But the bookmobile came to our lodge in the summer, and I got my hands on a paranormal romance, and it had some on-page intimacy. And I remember going to my mom and going, I mean, I was probably 10, and I was like, uh, I don't know what I just read. But I, so that was sort of, you know, I have like conservative values, conservative roots family, but I could get my hands on books because there, there wasn't anyone, you know, I was sp supp supposed to be sort of making my own best choices. But anyway, that's when I started to realize that there was romance in books. And um, I read Catherine Marshall's Julie, which is sort of a small town novel with a love triangle. And I remember I finished it. It was the longest book I'd ever read. And I said to myself, I want to write a book someday that makes readers feel the way that I feel right now. And I didn't know what to do with that. And mm -hmm. um, so that's how I became a romance reader, sort of dipping my toe in different pools of books and realizing that, you know, there, there's something out there for everyone when it comes to the romance genre. And I guess that's how the bug bit me. Okay. I just am obsessed over the fact that there was a bookmobile <laughs> that stopped by. <laughs> Yes. And to be, this is a true story. I lived uh, at least 35 miles from the tiny little community library that was in my, in my elementary school parking lot. I don't know. I don't know if that was state funded. I don't know. It, it was my friend's mom driving it. I don't know if she just knew that my sister and I were there because the next kid was 12 to 15 miles away. So God bless whoever funded that project. Yeah, that is so, books. okay. I need that in a book. Okay. I need that in a book. All right. All right. Noted. <laughs> I'll put that down. 
<laughs> you heard it here, friends. You heard it here first. That's right. I love I love the bookmobile. I hope that bookmobile still exists. I do too. I'm I've never sure. seen one. I mean, I know we have like the little free libraries now that people are doing, but I need a cute, and I love seeing people like renovate old school buses or old Airstreamers uh, yes. or like just old campers and like put books in them and drive around and like deliver yes. them to people. That just sounds like yes. a dream. Yes. I've seen pictures of it on social media, but I don't know if it actually happens. That would be amazing. Yeah. I read on your website, like you've already talked a little bit about it, but you grew up in Alaska, which I have to admit to you is one of my buzzwords. Like I don't even need to read the summary. If I see Alaska on the book, I'm like, okay, it's going in the, the shopping cart. Yay, um, thank you. You are you are our new favorite reader. That's what we love to hear. And I've never even been. <laughs> so, uh, but your newest series with Love Inspired is set there. Uh, so as a native Alaskan, what do you enjoy about seeing your state be such a beloved romance novel location? Because it is big, I feel like, in romance. It is. Yes. And it just keeps going. Like books about Alaska <laughs> have been a thing for quite a while, you know. Um, I'm kind of persnickety to tell you the truth about how I see Alaska represented. I want to see it represented well. You know, I want it to be authentic. But once you become an author, you start to realize there's a big difference between creating a novel and then putting a product out in the marketplace. Does that make sense? So yes. my editor at Love Inspired said, you know, Heidi, readers really want to see certain elements about Alaska in the novels. So um, snow, animals, uh, humanity against nature, whether that's a storm or being isolated on an island or, you know, close proximity with in a friends to lovers kind of situation, you know, where you're both stranded in a snowstorm or something. So I really like extreme weather situations. I like the small town sense of community because Alaskans really work together uh, to persevere. And um, I think I already mentioned the animals, any kind of animal dogs work really well in love inspired books, but I've bears and seals and all kinds of interesting things into stories. So it's a beautiful state. It's like you said, it captures people's attention almost right away. Um, the Deadliest Catch TV show really helped people see a different part of Alaskan culture, which is the commercial fishing and the crab fishermen. So if it's done well, I like to see it. But if it's stereotypical and cheesy, I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah, I think I fell in love with it some years ago. There was a television show that came on, I think, Discovery. And it was, I think it was just called Alaskan Railroad. And yes. like, I'm from Missouri. So, and like the part of Missouri I'm from, like the railroad has such a like huge history. So I was like, what's this show about? And it just like, it showed how like there were certain people who lived off grid and kind of depended yeah. on the railroad. Like they knew when the, the train was going to stop by to kind of pick them up and take them into town to like, yep. you know, get groceries and stock up before like the weather got really bad and they'd be stuck out there. Yep. I mean, it was just used in so many different capacities. And I was like, man, it's beautiful. But just to see how, you know, some of these people are like isolated. They have these beautiful cabins they've built and like this one mode of transportation that's honestly used for other things. Like it's the railroad. It's an actual like train used for like hauling stuff. But they will also help members that like live out in these like isolated places. Yeah. Yep. You know, Same so goes I just for it's beautiful. Oh, yes. Same goes for planes. I don't think people outside of Alaska realize how much Alaskans depend on aviation and a pilot that can fly in almost any kind of weather. Because like you said, people choose to live off grid and out in, you know, it's just so breathtakingly gorgeous, but they rely on a pilot and a plane 
to get them what they need. And if you have a medical issue, it, it can be really dicey. So it's amazing how people live. It's so different than the suburban life I'm living now, which, which I'm also grateful for. But uh, yeah, just Alaska is huge and breathtaking and just has a lot of layers. It's it's one of those, like every time I watch a show there, especially like about the people that choose that lifestyle, it makes you think like, do I really need <laughs> all of the things that I think I need when people live very happy and content with yes. less, you know? It's, That's it's amazing. very true. But they also work very hard to survive. Like I wish I, <laughs> I wish I could count the number of hours that my parents spent moving snow, just moving it. And by the time you get done moving it out of your driveway, it's back because it hasn't it's, stopped yeah. snowing. I just, I can't imagine. I mean, my parents lived there for, gosh, 35, 40 years almost. I, I just don't even want to know how many hours they spent moving snow. And I don't even own a snow shovel anymore. And I'm yeah. pretty happy about that. <laughs> you are a Southern transplant. Now. I am. <laughs> okay. What was the first like uh, culture shock when you moved to North Carolina? I mean, besides the weather, I'm sure. So I sort of eased across the country. I went to college on the eastern side of uh, Washington in Spokane, and then I went to graduate school in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So that was a big culture shock. Um, Chattanooga is a beautiful city. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yes. If I was, you know, to start out my life in the Mid-South, Chattanooga was a great place. It's very family oriented and people are kind, but um, obviously the way people talk is a lot different. Um, <laughs> the pace of life a little slower, a, li a little a smidge slower. slower. <laughs> Although here I'm in the Raleigh Durham area now and pace of life here. I'm kind of used to it. People are kind of in a little bit more of a hurry now, but, um, food is different. Um, just the way that people communicate in Alaska. I feel like we don't have time. We don't have time for games or just say what you want to say, just say what yeah. you want to say and mean it. And I don't, we don't have time to worry about who your relatives are or their connection. Like we probably know your relatives because <laughs> there's not that many of us here. So <laughs> in the South, there's a huge emphasis on, you know, what, what family you're from and, and I don't know, I could go on and on. It's fascinating. And that does go in a book. <laughs> yeah. I've, all of my observations about Southern culture are making their way into novels because I'm like, <laughs> wow, this is fascinating. Yeah. Tell me about your journey to, be, to getting published with Harlequin. Because you had a series. Did you self-publish it or was it with a small press first? Like I, I saw uh, those. It's like a three book series with gorgeous covers. Oh, um, thank So you. how did you go from doing that to getting with Harlequin? So I wanted to be an author like forever. And I went to college and I felt felt like, well, English majors don't get jobs. That had kind of been drilled into me and the kind of, so I was an English minor. I was a sports medicine major, which is an athletic trainer, run out on the field, scoop up the injured athlete, you know, help prevent injuries by taping ankles, uh, that sort of thing. And, and it was fun. I enjoyed it, but it was not going to be my forever job. And I knew that, but um, I went to graduate school for it and got a master's degree. And I still really wanted to be a writer. In fact, I went to college with one of Debbie Maycomer's children. And one day I was helping get ready for an event. He was an excellent runner. And I was nearby as they were preparing for cross-country practice. And he was talking to his friend about his mom's career. And that was the first, first time I had connected an 
a real life person that I knew with an author, even though, you know, she wasn't there or anything. I never met her, but I was like, Debbie Maycomer, huh? And I filed that away. So years later, I'm a stay at home mom and I'm still wanting to be a writer. And I watched uh, the Cedar Cove series on television. I think it was a Hallmark series or a movie channel. Well, that's a, that's a Debbie Maycomer product. And I was like, oh, there's that Debbie Maycomer again, huh? So the first paragraph for my first book, Unraveled, sort of lived on a on a Word document for a long time. And then I turned 35 11 years ago. I'm 46 now. And I was like, I'm 35. It's now or never. I'm either going to do this or I'm or I'm not. So I started figuring out how how do you become a writer? Like, what do you do to publish a novel? And Gail Gamer Martin, who is a love-inspired author, I'm not sure if she's writing anymore. She had a great website. And so I would just scour that thing and I would study it. And in 2012, I think Love Inspired had a sort of a speed dating option. You went into a chat room. It was it's archaic technology now, but at the time it's what was available. And Emily Rodmill was there and she liked my pitch and she wanted to see all of Unraveled. And I I think I finished it. I can't remember the details, but she wrote back to me and said, this is great, but the hero and heroine aren't together enough. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, I don't, what? At, now, had I read more love-inspired books, I would have understood what she meant, that in a 55,000-word novel, the hero and the heroine have to spend a lot of time together to make the romance plausible by the end. But at, in, in the moment, I didn't know what that meant. But Um, So I was approached by a small press to publish Unraveled, and so they did. And then I don't know what happened, but they just very quickly closed their doors and they weren't going to publish anymore. So I got the rights back and I had a new cover made. And then a group of authors invited me to be in a box set of novellas. And so that's Love Flies In. That's a novella also set in the same place as Unraveled. And um, that novella's box set did really well, which helped me get a literary agent. And by this time, it's now around 2015, and Love Inspired has another competition blurb to book. And so I had a little bit more of an idea of what went into a Love Inspired book, but I still didn't quite get it. So Shana Asaro read my contest entry, and I just kept advancing until I had submitted a full manuscript. And I didn't win, but she worked with me until we revised that manuscript until she could offer me a contract. And that was the Firefighters Twins. And it came out, I think, in 2018. So yes, I did start out with a small press, which turned into becoming uh, an independently published author. And I did write two books and a novella. And then I stopped. Um, No, I did do another. I did do two more separate titles that aren't part of a series, but then things got going with Love Inspired and I just, I don't have time to do self-published books anymore. Yeah. It's so sad to see those small presses go. Yes. And they, you know, 2012, 2013, it was like the wild west in Kindle land, right? Like eBooks are coming out all over the place. People are making great money. Um, so I, I'm not sorry that I did it, but I am also grateful for my self-publishing experience because I learned what it means to take a book all the way from an idea to it's for sale on yeah. Amazon. That's that's pretty valuable information. Okay. So this is like 2012 when those books were coming out, correct? 2012? I, th- I think that's when I got the idea. I think 2014 Unraveled was published for the first time and then they gave me my rights back, but I just had to do a new cover. And I think it, that came out in 2015. Okay. Sorry. It's all kind of a blur. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all like this. This is the history major in me. So like, so 
you know, that's not too long ago, but take me back to that time because I didn't pick up my first romance until 2017 and it was a Debbie, a Debbie Maycomber. <laughs> um, but like, what did the world of romance publishing feel like? You you kind of said like it felt like the Wild West, but like describe for me what it felt like for you as you were entering into it. So to me, becoming traditionally published by an amazing publisher like Harlequin just seemed still so far out of reach. You know, like, oh, I'd gotten a little bit of notice from one of the editors. She liked my writing, but my hero and heroine aren't together enough. I I don't know what that means. And then, well, here's these other independently published authors, and they seem like they're doing really well. So maybe I'll try that. But on the other hand, it's so difficult to get a book you know, it's it's hard enough to create a story idea and then to write it and then also to have it. Now there's all kinds of people available to help you format it and get it into the proper um, file that needs to be uploaded. But at the time, that was just like climbing a mountain with my bare hands. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, it just seemed like anybody, anybody could become a published author and just the world is your oyster, you know? And and that is true. Anybody can become a published author, but it is very, very difficult to find a reader and to get your book into the hands of your ideal reader. And that's that's something that Harlequin and Love Inspired have done for me. And I'm so grateful. You know, they they get the product to market. They know what their readers want. So far, they haven't published anything for me that flopped. Maybe someday that will happen. I know that happens to authors, but they really know what their reader wants and they have the resources to adjust and create great covers. And they have a whole team of amazing editors. So um, I'm not knocking being an independently published author. I'm glad I've had that experience. But for me, traditional publishing is, is really the sweet spot at this point. Yeah. Definitely. This year, books one and two in your Home to Hearts Bay series released in April and July. Uh, tell us about the series and where the inspiration for it came from. I had written four books for Love Inspired. So I was starting to think, and those were set in North Carolina and Colorado. So I was starting to think about what was next. And I always go uh, to the Love Inspired website and you can click a little box and it shows you what's coming, what, you know, what they what they know they're publishing and just looking around to see what was what they were publishing what seemed to be doing well they always give us a list of um things that they're looking for in terms of what they'd like to see in their books and I thought well this goes back to what you create is something you create but you want it to be a product in the marketplace and as we've already talked about Alaska books sell well and I felt more comfortable pitching a series set in Alaska than I did uh, something featuring ranchers or cowboys I'm not that world has never been something I've been a part of. So that would have taken a lot of work and a lot of research. Whereas I thought, oh, I bet I can pull off an Alaska series. So I asked my editor and she said, sure, I would love to see that. And so uh, Kodiak Island is a real island in Alaska. And I thought, boy, that would be amazing to set a whole series on an island. So uh, Orca Island is the name of the island in my Home to Heart Space series, but it's it's based on the real island of Kodiak. And I read an article about these heart-shaped rocks that wash up on the beach in South Central Alaska. And boom, that was it. That's the spark that lit the flame. I was like, that's it. This town will be called Hearts Bay. There'll be a rock that's shaped like a heart that people will love to have their picture taken by. And um, my in my real life, my father had passed away in 2020 after a long battle with Parkinson's. So grief is sort of the through line in this series, which for Love Inspired Book, you're like, what? But in the the 
the inciting incident for this family of sisters is that they lost their brother in a commercial fishing accident. And so he is mentioned, um, his friends are secondary characters in the series, but that's, that's what happened. That's how I pitched the series. Even a rock that washes the shore can be inspiration for an entire yeah. series. And it was just a web story. It wasn't even a rock that I found on my own. I was just like, what? This happens? Yeah. Let's do it. I have to tell you, like grief is, and I think this may come from starting with Debbie Maycomber novels, but I love reading grief stories. I think it's just like, it's something that we're all at some point going to experience. For sure. Uh, and it just, especially in romance novels, it just makes that happy ever after just so much more special because you've seen these characters work through that grief, you know? Right. And I'm in a season of like, well, we all witnessed a lot of loss, whether you lost a loved one during the pandemic or not, surely you know somebody who did. And we are all going to lose our parents at some point. I mean, nobody really wants to think about it or talk about it, but um, I'm in a season of life where, you know, loss is ever present. And and I, I don't want to write a heavy, dark book, but I do want to offer hope and and encouragement and every book ends in a happily ever after. So we know we're going to get a feel good story, but grief is a part of my life and you'll see it a little bit in every book in this series. I haven't written them all yet, so I can't say for sure, but (laughs) I'm working on book four and it's still there. (laughs) Yeah. I think the hope part is the, I, I don't know. When I think of grief stories, I always associate hope with it because it's like, you know, like I said, it's something everyone is going to experience, but just reading it on page, it's like, it's so hopeful and just a reminder that you will get through it. You know, grief, it looks different for everyone. It lasts different for everyone, but like eventually like every day will get a little bit easier. So yeah, I, I kind of associate those two together when I like pick up a good grief romance it's like this is going to be hopeful in the end because they're going to get through it and next time I'm like experiencing grief as well I can remember these characters and remember like eventually they made it through you know so I don't know I personally love grief stories (laughs) oh good well said yes I I like how you described that grief is grief is part of our life but joy and sadness can exist together and they can exist together in a novel. Yeah. Can you share with me a little insight into your writing process? Like, do you set daily writing goals? Are you a plotter or a pantser? Like, tell me all the details. Like, you sit down to write, you know, tomorrow. What does the scene look like? Oh, my goodness. It's a hot mess. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably the best. (laughs) Yeah, good stuff comes from hot messes. Um, So I am a student of Susan May Warren and Rachel Houck. They are kind of my unofficial heroines in the business. They've, I don't know if they started out with Love Inspired. They might have started out with Steeple Hill, which to me is a predecessor to Love Inspired. I could be wrong about that. But um, anyway, they both have done quite well in the inspirational romance space. And they, Susan May Warren has a has a school for writers. It's online. It's called Novel Academy. And she and Rachel are close friends. And they used to do a lot of online teaching. I would go, if they were teaching at a conference, I would try to attend. But uh, Susie has a method called the story equation. People can buy her book. It's available on Amazon. And um, so I use her method. And then Love Inspired sort of requires a particular kind of plotting process just so that you hit all of the points that you need to hit in the novel in a 55,000 word <laughs> word count. So my process is, I really wish I was a pantser. It sounds like it's so fun. And I thought I would be, 
but I will just sit at my computer and stare if I don't have a plot, sort of a roadmap to go with. And then also, I used to have to write an entire manuscript and try to sell it to Love Inspired, and I'm fortunate that now I don't have to do that. I can sell an idea on three chapters and a synopsis, which is a plot summary. So I have to follow that. If that's what I sold, that's what I have to stick to. So I prefer right now to dictate. So I'll sort of map out on a piece of paper um, some sensory details, what the goal of the scene is, what what's the problem, like how are we going to put conflict or tension and onto the page. And then I just talk into my phone. I can usually go like eight or 10 minutes and then my brain just sort of needs a little bit of a break. So I upload that dictation into a transcription service and it transcribes it back into a Word document. And then I paste that into one big giant Word document. And I usually after about four or five scenes, I have to go back and edit because it's just sort of a word soup and my story can go off the rails. So then I spend, I don't know, it could take me a few hours. It could take me a couple days. And uh, I just work through that dictation until I'm happy with it. And then I sort of rinse and repeat. I hope that made sense. That's yeah. my process. <laughs> well, with Love Inspired, the stories are, I think, very character driven. Like there's a lot of internal conflict and emotions. Tell me about like getting to know your characters and writing your characters. So that's an excellent question. Yes. So the internal conflict, you know, that's the reason why the heroine heroine couldn't possibly fall in love. You know, you have to kind of reverse engineer that and, and so that your writers can have, or your readers can have that emotional experience. So back to Susie Mae Warren and Rachel Houck, what they've taught me is uh, to invent a moment in the character's past that, um, you know, took them to a dark place. Like I listened to your interview with Melissa Enlick and she kept saying, don't overthink it authors don't overthink it like it doesn't have to be a, a traumatic event it just has to be something that left them feeling wounded and then you mm -hmm. have then you have something to work with you have some angst that you can put onto the page you know false beliefs that these characters have absorbed that keep them from getting their happily ever after yes i love those false beliefs <laughs> well that that's a that's a key to me that's a key part of of creating a story is your characters need, there's a lie that they are believing. And it's true in real life too. We all have things that we tell ourselves that aren't true or things that other people have said to us that we believe um, are true. And so we sort of carry that emotional baggage with us through life. And you want, you want your characters, they're fictional people, but we want them to feel real. Do you think that that like the, the, like, like she, uh, Susan said, create that one moment in their past. Do you think for aspiring writers, do you think that tends to be what people overthink? Like, obviously, it's something that they that has stuck with them. But like, do you do you think that people assume it has to be this super dramatic event? And like, that's hard to come up with for people? I do think that authors can struggle with with how to create that backstory, because it doesn't always have to be um, super dark. It could be something, um, it could just be one line that somebody said to them that has just really driven their, their behavior and their thought patterns. I will say that, um, in the inspirational genre, we tend to be pretty nice people and we don't want to do things to our characters that would be sort of mean, but I've had to learn to be, um, I've had to learn to make my fictional people hurt and almost to the point of like the most outlandish ideas have been the ones that have sold. I'll be like, they are never going to go for this. Like I did a, <laughs> I, in this series, I have a switched at birth. I have a switched at birth situation where they find out in their adult 
lives, you know, through, through the, uh, I don't want to give a plug for any particular online genetic testing. <laughs> They're probably not sponsoring this episode, no. <laughs> but you know, there are some options out there where you can upload something and you can find out your genetic history. And so I have the characters do that. And I'm like, switch to birth. What? No way. And uh, yep, it's happening. It's <laughs> the book comes out in, uh, in late February. And then there'll be another one with the other person who switched to birth. But like, you have to you have to take what you see in real life and put it on the page and then put your own spin on it and and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I can't wait to read that. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Uh, it's called, let's see, His Alaskan Redemption. It's the third book in the series. And then I'm working on the fourth book now, which has the other person that was switched at birth. Yeah. And I mean, for anyone that like doubts the, you know, like there are some interesting, my family personally had like a genetics, t- like a, a thing come out because of <laughs> right. using like a website. And I'll be honest, I was the one who was on the, like I, it was my profile. And I mean, my father found out he had another sibling. <laughs> And I'm like, that's not even what it's for. But, you know, it shows you family members. Like, it shows you people that you're connected with. And I was like, wow. You know, luckily the judge is like, that's not what she's on this website for. But, (laughs) you know. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I've read memoirs, you know, where people have found out their father that they grew up with wasn't actually their father. Like, it's amazing what you can do. Like, I mean, talk about like a plot plug. <laughs> There's so right. much, I think, with the the genealogy and stuff like that. So people love secrets. It's just our nature. We're nosy. We like to talk about stuff. <laughs> like that is great fodder for a novel. And and I do not mean in any way to minimize your family's experience. I'm just <laughs> saying that. Yeah, it was it was genetic testing. Was like, is, yeah, I was like, what did I do? <laughs> Right. The judge is like, you didn't do anything wrong, but this person, you know, found the connection and it was like, this was his proof. And unfortunately, my grandfather had already passed away and I'm I'm pretty sure my grandfather knew. And I was just like, why would you wait until after he's gone to, you know, want to put that out there? But yeah, it's... Yes. That's fascinating so too. <laughs> yeah. See, secrets that aren't revealed because people pass away. You think, wow, I have so many questions I want to ask you or, wow, I wonder what your life was like that you carried that. Yeah. yeah. Or, or did maybe they didn't, maybe they reached a point where they just didn't think about it anymore, you know? Like, yeah. Gosh, it's so fascinating. It is. It is. Um, okay. If you could tell aspiring writers one thing right now, and I feel like you've been giving just so much good advice this whole time, but right now, if an aspiring writer is listening and you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh my goodness. Well, I share advice from a place of wanting to help and because I've made some big mistakes and um, learned the hard way. So uh, I <laughs> receive this writer and reader friends uh, with an open mind and an open heart because I'm just sharing um, things that I've encountered along the way. Like I kept saying, I didn't know what Emily Rodmel meant when she said the heroine and heroine aren't together enough. In a, Because a category romance, a love-inspired novel is relatively short, you don't have a lot of time to work with and you need to put the hero and the heroine together on the page in a way that's plausible and moves the story forward. That's why there are so many stories where he or she is helping the other person care for their kids. You know, it's just a great way uh, to bring them together and to help their relationship grow because you don't have a lot of time to make that romance plausible. So long answer to a short question, I would say to any aspiring writer, read the books 
in the genre that you think you want to write, that you think that you love. So I hear sometimes people say, oh, but then you'll plagiarize. And I just feel that that's not true. Like if I wanted to go write a fantasy novel this week, I don't know how to do that. I wouldn't not read a fantasy. You know, if I yeah. wanted if I wanted to write something other than what I'm writing, like I had to learn to write women's fiction by reading women's fiction novels. Like the people who are who are iconic in our industry, they got there for a reason. And so read their books. You don't have to read them all. You don't have to spend a fortune. You know, you can use the library, but just it's really important to read the books that are being published because that's yeah. how you learn. Yeah. I mean, and the good thing about these lines is so many books come out each month. So literally just get on the website and buy everything that's new and just kind of keep up with it from there. But I yes. have a question. Okay. So as you're prepping to, to venture into writing more women's fiction, like what are some of the similarities and differences that you have found between writing those and writing romance? And like, what so, are you enjoying about it? I love women's fiction. And I love also how we kind of have these blurred lines sometimes with romance and women's fiction. But like, as an author, like, how are you feeling about it? So the lines are very blurry to me. And I thought I knew where the where the road markers were. So I, my book is called One Southern Summer. It comes out in June. It's love inspired trade. And it has three points of view. So there's an older woman, like the matriarch of the family. There's the heroine of the novel, and then there's um, the person who will be her love interest, a hero. And so I wanted to just do like one scene from each person's point of view, just rotate through the whole book. And I did do that at first, but uh, Shana helped me see that women's fiction is more about the journey uh, of the heroine, right? It's how she goes from being the mess that she is on page one until um, she gets her happily ever after. I just about spoiled my own book. <laughs> <laughs> so she helped me see that we need to have a little bit more from the heroine's point of view instead of being, you know, 33% from each point of view. So gosh, I learned a lot. It's really hard. It's really, really difficult to write a full length novel. I thought I knew how to do it because I did it as a, as a self-published author, but uh, these are the love inspired trade length are, I think mine is at 95,000 words. So that's the oh, longest wow. book I've ever we yeah. are just about to go into the last phase of revision. So I don't, I think it'll probably stay at 95,000. But um, anyway, that's the longest thing I've ever written, I think is 75. So yeah, I mean, so the focus isn't on the romance per se, it's on the journey of the main character. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. Sort of finding herself again. So she She's a divorced single parent of two. And so moving back to her hometown in Alabama. So, you know, the, in her mind, the last thing she's looking for is a relationship, but uh, it ends up being a second chance romance. And, um, well, I'm so yeah. excited. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I was just floored that I even had the opportunity. Like when my agent sent me the email that had, they wanted to buy it, I literally ran through my house screaming because the thing had been rejected so many times by every other publisher. I would go to writing conferences and try to pitch it, which I had no business doing. I did not know what I was doing. And they just get that look in their eyes like, yeah, that's a hard pass. And you're just like crushed. And I now realize that, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. And and uh, so I'm very thankful that Love Inspired Trade is is a thing and that they're giving me a shot because they yeah. they, they sure okay, didn't I have, have to. to ask so like so for any like again like I, I just always hope that somebody who needs this like it reaches who it, it needs and it always like touches me in ways but like when you're at these writing conferences and you're you're pitching it is it 
the because we hear all the time like I didn't know how to pitch I wasn't pitching correctly was it not what they were looking for like what would you tell someone that's going through that experience now I mean it sounds like you really have to have a tough skin because you might hear a ton of no's but when you look back on that experience like what was it was it not what they were looking for was it how you were pitching it to them I think it was how I was pitching it so the the early I started trying to write this book in like 2016. I mean, I gosh, I've written how many hundreds of thousands of words since then. So yeah. the first <laughs> the first iteration of the book was not very strong in my pitch. I didn't know how to pitch. Like I understood the concept and I for sure practiced, but you've signed up ahead of time and you're waiting out in the hallway and then there's a sort of a host or a hostess at the door who summons you and you go in there and it's literally somebody pretty substantial at the publishing house. And and this would be like Bethany House, Thomas Nelson, um, Tyndale. So the kind of the big the big publishers in Christian fiction, because this is a conference for Christian fiction writers. Okay. And um and then Love Inspired is also there too. But I was, you know, I was already in the Love Inspired uh, lane with my category romance. And at the time I didn't know that they were going to be doing trade length. So I was trying to get this big book published elsewhere. And I just I was pitching poorly. My pitch didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And then they're stuck just sitting there looking at you and you're like, okay. And then the timer rings and then you're free. But I mean, it's it's terrifying. It's also a pretty important part of the process because you do need a pitch. Even if you're independently published, you need a you know a really solid one-line hook that you can put at the top of your product description if you're going to sell your book in an online marketplace, which if you're independently published, you most certainly are. So I think learning how to pitch your work is crucial, but it is brutal. It's so hard. I mean, I see people's pitches on Twitter when they'll have these different like pitch events. And I'm like, how did you come up with that? That's incredible. (laughs) Yes. It takes a lot of work. I've done those before. And um, yeah, you have to, I'm sure there's books about it. I, I don't know. I go back to what um, Susan May Warren and Rachel Halk have taught me, which I will say for aspiring writers, having a goal, motivation, and conflict for your every character that's in your story, that's key. If you can that's get key. those down, you're probably on your way to writing a pretty good book. Yeah. Well, let's get into some round out questions. All right. The first one, tell me a film or television show that you will never stop watching. I love some of those classic romantic films. Well, they're not classic, classic, but classic for my generation, like Miss Congeniality, While You Were Sleeping, Sweet Home Alabama. Those are three for sure that I will stop and yes. watch at least. I'll I'll watch at least part of it again. The, just, oh my uh, gosh, Sweet Home Alabama. Like, why do you want to marry oh. me for? So I can kiss you anytime I want. Oh, oh that's the best. I love that movie. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Reese Witherspoon is. Yes. And he does the, he's the voice of the Home Depot commercials. And I just listen to Josh Lucas. I hear his voice in a Home Depot commercial and I'm like, oh, sweet home Alabama. Yeah. Poor guy. (laughs) Typecast forever. (laughs) Well, what's the one, what's one thing you never actually, actually need more of, but will unapologetically continue hauling for yourself? Um, Books, hardback, paperback, audio, ebook, can't stop, won't stop. Yeah. (laughs) Spoken like a true reader. That's right. (laughs) I was typing this question yesterday and I was like, it's probably books, but we'll see. (laughs) I was like, what else could I say? I'm like, well, I'm not, it's books. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. (laughs) 
I think mine is like books and socks. I love like a fresh packet of like new socks. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, socks will be second on my list then. Yes. Well, you decide you want takeout for dinner tonight. Where do you order from and what's your order? Fish tacos and chips and guacamole. That's oh my thing. Oh my gosh. Yes. Are you getting like, are there, is there like a local taco truck or like a there taco probably spot? Is, there probably is, but I have teenagers. And so we go where we know that everyone can eat and be happy. So there's a local restaurant that it's uh, quite tasty. Love that. Chain, chain restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever received? Oh my gosh. Um, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of tough advice and rejection in being a writer. I think being told I should be reading, um, I should be reading more of the books in the love inspired line. I didn't, I read a couple at first, but I didn't read enough. So I didn't really understand. Okay. And, yeah. So that's pride, right? You get some advice and you're like, oh, that doesn't really apply to me. No, no, it does. Which is why I'm saying it forward. You know, read the books. You'll yeah, learn so say, much. You, you, that was the advice you shared. And now it makes sense that that's what you would share. Yeah. If you want to write in a line, I think you it's safe to say you need to read the line first. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Because they're not there's so many and they're not all the same. Well, this may be the same. But if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice at the beginning of your writing career, Wild West days, what would it be? I'm going to quote Macy Yates. I'm sure she won't mind. She's a prolific, successful Harlequin author. But yes. she said one time, practice finishing. And that means practice finishing a manuscript. Even if you think this is the worst thing I've ever written, this will never see the light of day. Just finish the story. It's really painful. You're probably going to want to quit at least once, but writing an entire novel is the only way to learn to write a novel. Nothing yeah. wrong with classes and conferences and you know, having a critique partner. But if you start a story and then quit it and start a new one and quit it, like you don't really ever get, you'll, you'll become a master at writing three chapters, but you really have to slog your way through the middle <laughs> to get to the other side. I have heard horror stories about the middle. <laughs> oh, it's awful. It's really terrible. I still, I am a plotter, but I don't know what's going to happen in the middle. I I have to make something up because I have to sell the concept and it has to go in the synopsis. So I usually brainstorm the end because you know there's going to be a happily ever after. And then I work backward and then I mm. think about, okay, well, what happens in the middle of a book normally? In a love inspired book, the exact middle is usually a kiss. So then you, that gives you something to work with. Because yeah. you need the before the kiss and the after the kiss part. Well, one beautiful thing that I can say about social media is we get reels and videos from Maisie Yates with writing advice. Now, oh, my so. gosh. She is so fun to watch. <laughs> yes. Oh, my word. <laughs> well, you've yes. touched on it a little bit, but just wanted to ask, is, is there anything else that you're currently working on that you can tell us about? I Well, as I've mentioned, I'm working on the fourth book in my uh, Home to Heart Space series. And then when that's done, I'll move on to the fifth and the sixth. The, the whole series will be written by the middle of 2023. I think that's my last deadline. And when, it, when four, five, and six will be out in the marketplace, I have no idea. But um, then I just wrote three chapters in a plot summary for what I hope will be a future women's fiction novel. So that goes to my agent and then it gets pitched to Love Inspired and then we wait. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, my fingers are crossed. Thank you. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. Well, lastly, where can everyone keep up with you online? Oh, I'm all the places. Um, mostly I am on Instagram as uh, Heidi McCann.author, and readers are always welcome to visit my website, HeidiMcCann.com. 
and sign up for my newsletter. You'll get a free novella and an opportunity to join my launch team. And it's a great way to connect with me directly. Well, we will have all of that listed down below. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me and letting me start my day off with you. I'm like, what day is it even? <laughs> I know. I'm so packed up. What but a fun I, way to start the day. Talking about romance novels. I know. Writing. Talking about romance novels. So thank you so much. Yes, please come back. I mean, we can do it again whenever your series is finished, when awesome. the women's fiction book comes out, whatever you want to do. I would just love to have the opportunity to chat with you again. This has been so much fun and so insightful. You have some wonderful wisdom and just thank you for sharing Aww. everything. Well, thank you for allowing me to be here. Thanks for accepting my pitch. And I'm just so excited. I love this podcast and it's a thrill to be a guest. 